A 20-year-old college student leaves for an evening run in Brooklyn, Iowa. Then she vanishes. Molly Tibbetts. This case is her story. This case is a story of Molly's disappearance and the story of Molly's murder. Investigators soon have their suspect, and he cooperates in some way, at least initially giving shocking admissions about what he says happened that night. He admitted that he'd seen Molly the night she disappeared, July 18th, 2018. He admitted that he followed her, that he got out of his car. He admitted to jogging to catch up with her, that he wanted to get close to her. He admitted that Molly didn't want to have anything to do with him, that she threatened to call the police. And he admitted he became angry at that time. But when it came time for trial, he would have quite a different story to tell the jury. And why did you think there was something or why did you know there was something in the trunk? Because previously I had felt when they had placed something or put something in the trunk. Did you look in the trunk? Yes. What did you see? A body. This is Jillian, and in partnership with Law and Crime, you are listening to Court Junkie, episode 162. Twenty-year-old Molly Tibbetts had just finished her freshman year at the University of Iowa in Iowa City. It was the start of the summer of 2018. That June, she attended her father's wedding and then spent the summer at home in Brooklyn, Iowa. She worked at a child care center at the nearby Grinnell Hospital. Molly was still in a relationship with her high school boyfriend, Dalton Jack. They had started dating while he was a senior and she a junior. While Molly had gone to the University of Iowa for college, Dalton had attended Hawkeye Community College for a year before deciding not to go to school and to work in construction instead. The couple had some problems during their three years together, but nothing reportedly unlike any other teenage relationship. And Dalton would later say he was hoping to propose to her. Molly had decided to ultimately move in with friends instead of with Dalton, but the two were still together. In July 2018, Molly was house-sitting for Dalton and his older brother, Blake, and taking care of their dogs. Both brothers were out of town for work. Dalton was in Dubuque for a construction job and Blake in Ames. Molly was an avid runner. On the evening of Wednesday, July 18, 2018, she set out for a run as she usually did. She had her phone, fitness tracker, and earbuds with her. The next morning, Dalton sent Molly a text message that said, Good morning, beautiful. Molly didn't respond, although Dalton didn't notice at first since he was busy at the work site. Later that afternoon, he received a concerning call from one of Molly's friends. Uh, I received a call from Emily Fenner, one of her co-workers at the uh, daycare. And she said that Molly had not called or showed up for work. And do you remember about what time you received that communication? Uh, 4.30, maybe? So it was in the afternoon, yes. Dalton told his boss that Molly was missing and that he had to go home. 
He returned to Brooklyn and went straight to his brother's house. A crowd had gathered on the lawn and a police officer was there taking statements. And so the searches for Molly began. Dalton and his brother went out that night driving around looking for her. Additional organized searches were formed within the community and before long the state police and the FBI were brought in. Investigators quickly learned from those who knew her that Molly would not have disappeared without telling anyone. Five weeks passed and still no sign of Molly. Investigators fielded hundreds of tips and looked into her phone records. They showed her rate of movement as she ran, and then her movement rapidly picked up, as though she had gone from running to being driven in a car. Investigators also looked into numerous suspects. The following is from search warrants released to the public after Molly's disappearance. One suspect was a man in his 40s who lived along the route Molly had taken that day during her run. Surveillance footage from a nearby car wash showed him washing his car, described as a dark color SUV, around 10.30 p.m. on the night Molly disappeared. Another suspect was a local farmer who had a criminal history. His property was reportedly located about 200 yards from where Molly's cell phone last pinged her network. Another suspect was 17 years old, who was friends with Molly on Facebook. His brother worked with Dalton, and when questioned, he said he was at home on the night of July 18th, but then later said he may have been mowing a cemetery. He reportedly told police that he had recently wiped his phone of all of its data and no longer had it. And yet another suspect was a man in his late 50s, originally from Nebraska, but who had been driving through Brooklyn in the days after Molly disappeared. He had purchased a used car from a dealership nearby after telling them his car had broken down. When investigators searched the broken-down car the man had left, they found what looked like blood and hair inside. But investigators determined that nothing in the car was a match to Molly. All of those suspects, including Dalton Jack, were cleared, according to police. But then, when looking into the surveillance cameras in the area, they got another lead. Lo and behold, they came across one that showed Molly as she ran. The timestamp was 7.48 p.m. It was the last image anyone had of her. But also on the video was a car, a black Chevy Malibu with chrome mirrors and handles. Why was it that this particular car, out of all the others that you would have seen, drew yours and other law enforcement agents' attention? The the big thing for me was when those four individuals who were viewing tape um, gave me their logs, I created a spreadsheet um, just on Excel. And with time and date, according to the timestamp, um, and after the runner went past at 7.45.33, the next four entries in that log, once I compiled it, were a black Chevy Malibu. Is that what drew your attention? Yes. All right. And uh, was it significant to you and other law enforcement officers that it was close in time to when you saw the jogger? It was. And tell us why. It was significant just being in the area. So it was just someone we really felt we needed to identify whoever the driver was of that vehicle to see if they saw something, if they 
uh, knew who Molly was or passed them or whatever. We just wanted to know who was driving that vehicle. Who was driving that vehicle? And would the driver lead them to Molly? Investigators began trying to track down the vehicle in the surveillance video. Eventually, they came upon the owner's name, 26-year-old Christian Bahena Rivera. Christian was an undocumented worker at a local dairy farm. On August 20th, one month and two days after Molly's disappearance, they went to his work in hopes of speaking with him. Christian agreed to go with them to the police station. There, he met Iowa City police officer Pamela Romero. Officer Romero had been brought in because she was a fluent Spanish speaker. At trial, Officer Romero told the court she built a rapport with Christian. When she asked him about his car, he told her that he had two, a black Chevy Malibu and an Altima. He admitted that he typically drove the Malibu. She asked him if he knew Molly Tibbetts. He said no. He had no idea who she was and had never seen her before. Um, did you have a photo of Molly Tibbetts that you showed the defendant? At that time, I pulled out one of the uh, posters, the flyers that had Molly Tibbetts' face. I put it in front of the uh, Mr. Rivera, and he um, looked at it, and he goes, yes, I have seen them around town. They are all over town. And at that point, he also added that he remembered um, seeing the Molly's boyfriend at one of the local gas stations. But initially, he denied having uh, ever known Molly Tibbetts. Is that true? That is true. Or having any contact with her? That is true. He stated he kept a picture of or the copy of the poster flyer in his car. A little later in the interview, Officer Romero was given photos from the surveillance camera. She laid them out in front of him, and before she could even ask him, he told her it was his car. Um, did you ask him if he was the sole owner of the Malibu? I asked him if he was driving the vehicle that date and time. He said, yes, that was me. I asked him, is anyone else in the car with you at that time and that particular date? He goes, no, it was just me. While he looked at the photo, Officer Romero asked if he saw a person running that night. He said yes, he saw a woman. Did you have a discussion with the defendant about the appearance of the runner, female runner that he saw? Yes, I asked her what he thought of the female runner first, and he his answer was, uh, I found her attractive. I asked him what she was wearing. He said Black shirts, maybe a top sport bra, and he continued describing. He did not say the name of it, but he just said one of those things that you put on to measure your steps or to hold your cell phone. Or to what? Hold, hold your cell phone? Hold cell phone. Did he ever use any other term other than attractive to uh, describe the runner that he saw? He stated at one point that she, he thought that she was hot. Even though he thought the woman was hot, he said he never interacted with her. The interview continued. At around 4.30 a.m., investigators left the police station with Christian Bahena Rivera. He was taking them somewhere. And where did you go? We went to Mr. Rivera's residence. 
in um, Jeru, the farm that he worked at. I the believe Yerby it was Farms. a property. Yes. All right. That's an area uh, in um, southeast of Brooklyn, correct? I'm not familiar with the area, but yes, that's Pawashi County. Then did you proceed to a rural area in far eastern Pawashi County? We landed um, in a cornfield. Do you see States Exhibit 3 there on the screen, Ms. Romero? Yes, I do. Um, this location that is on the map is 2478 460th Avenue. Do you see that? Yes, I do. Uh, what kind of road is that? Gravel Road. All right. Um, is it, even for a rural county, is that area pretty rural? Yes. Okay. It was a cornfield. It was cornfields all around us. When investigators got out of the car, they found Molly's body face up in the cornfield. She had multiple sharp force injuries. Officer Pamela Romero continued her conversation with Christian Bahena Rivera in the car. She read him his Miranda rights, which he waived. He told her he wanted to talk to her. He then admitted that he had interacted with Molly that night. What was the first thing the defendant told you about seeing a female on July 18th of 2018 near Brooklyn, Iowa at or near 7.45 p.m.? He told me he um, saw her running um, again three times. One of those times he parked his car behind her, ran after her or jogged after her, came um, close to her that she noticed him. She turns around, makes the attempt to use his cell phone to call the police. At this point, Mr. Rivera to, um, told me that he got angry and that that is when they started fighting. He said Molly tried to slap him and was screaming at him. Did this uh, make him angry? Mr. Rivera said that this is when he became angry. Christian told her the details after that were a little fuzzy. He said usually when he gets angry like that, he blacks out. He said the next thing he knew, he was driving. And when he looked down, he saw Molly's earbuds in his lap on his knees. He said he then remembered that Molly was in his trunk. He did not tell you that he remembered putting her in the trunk. He stated that he did not remember putting her inside the car. He did not remember how she got there, but he he did remember how he took her out of the vehicle. Officer Romero asked him what happened next. He then detailed how he went to the cornfield and dumped Molly's body. Does the defendant describe at this point any injuries to Molly Tibbetts' body? He remembers that there was blood. Um, he told me that he took her out of the car, put her on top of his shoulder, carry her inside into the cornfield, laying her down, covering her with corn leaves, and leaving right away. At no time did Christian tell her how he killed Molly, but she continued to try and solicit more details from him. I went to ask him, Mr. Rivera, please just let me know, give me more details how she got into the car, what happened to her, what did you do to her, um, he, his answer was, I brought you here, didn't I? Um, so that means that I did it. 
I don't remember how I did it. Christian Bahena Rivera was officially arrested and charged with first-degree murder. At his trial, prosecutors didn't just rely on Christian Bahena Rivera's own admission of guilt. They called a total of 19 witnesses to the stand, including Christina Stewart, a local business owner who testified that she saw Molly, whom she knew, running on the night of July 18th. She estimated it was about 7.45 p.m. And as you were driving east on 385th, did you notice any uh, person on the side of the road? Yes. Uh, Can you please describe for the jury who you or what you saw? A younger woman. Okay. And did you recognize that person? At the, yes, I did. Okay, and who is that? Molly Tibbetts. Okay, which, what was she doing? She was running eastbound. On 385th? On 385th. And how was Molly dressed? She was wearing black spandex shorts with a bright pink sports bra. And she also had the armband that held her phone that most joggers wear as they run. And did you notice anything about her hair? I noticed her hair. It was... I would like a low ponytail. She passed her as Molly was jogging up the hill. She didn't notice anything unusual and didn't notice anyone else around. DCI agent Trent Valletta testified about victimology and whether Molly's lifestyle put her at risk of becoming a victim. Uh, what you do is you start with the people closest to the victim. It's uh, usually a small circle of our Uh, closest friends and family. That's where we start. We call it a victimology. Um, The victimology is just kind of as it sounds. It's um, who is this person we're looking for? What, who do they associate with? Uh, What's their lifestyle like? And then um, it's, I guess, the best way to describe basic investigative techniques. All right. And then making that assessment, uh, where would you have put Molly Tibbetts as far as uh, risk. So, yeah, so Molly Tibbetts was extremely low risk. Um, Why do you say that? She, well, it's her, her, the lifestyle that she lived. A lot of our victims, um, there's drugs and alcohol. Um, there's abusive relationships. Um, there's all these different factors that uh, would push that person into a higher risk of be- becoming a victim. Um, Molly Tibbetts didn't have any of those. Molly Tibbetts um, uh, probably had the nicest text messages we've ever read. We had a hard time finding something negative about Molly Tibbetts. He told the court that several witnesses had corroborated Dalton Jack's alibi of being at the worksite in Dubuque the night Molly went missing. He also testified that the murder weapon had never been found. The prosecution also called to the stand a criminologist named Tara Scott. Scott said she examined the home of Dalton and Blake, where Molly had been house-sitting, and she said she saw no signs of any kind of struggle. She also told the court about blood found inside Christian's trunk. It was a match to Molly. And can you describe that analysis, please? So the profile that I developed indicated a mixture of three individuals. I was able to determine a partial profile at 20 out of the 21 locations that I tested. 
of the major contributor, and that was consistent with the known DNA profile of Molly Tibbetts. Okay, is there a statistical probability that's associated with that? Yes. And what is that? That would be less than one out of 2.1 nonillion. Okay, so another very large number, correct? Yes. And in in very basic terms, what does that mean with regard to the uh, cutting that you took that we see here in state's exhibit? Um, sorry, 51. At the 20 locations, I was able to determine a major profile. It matched Molly Tibbetts at those 20 locations. FBI agent Kevin Horan presented the route Molly's cell phone took the night she disappeared. An earlier witness had testified that she saw Molly wearing her phone on her arm that night as she ran. Molly's phone traveled east for a while, consistent with the pace of a run, but then it started going south and sped up from 8.35 p.m. to 8.53 p.m., traveling up to 60 miles per hour. After 8.53 p.m., the phone completely stopped moving. Dr. Dennis Klein, the state medical examiner, testified that he found at least nine stab wounds on Molly's body. At least six were on her torso, one to her neck, one to her right hand, and another wound that had penetrated her skull and that he thought could have caused her death. He testified that he believed there was actually a total of 12 stab wounds, but due to the fact that her body was in a moderate to severe state of decomposition, he couldn't be exact. On cross, he said the wounds were consistent with that of a single knife, but that they could have come from multiple weapons. He did not detect any drugs or alcohol in Molly's system. After the prosecution was done presenting their case, it was time for the defense. Their strategy? They would be recalling Dalton Jack to grill him about his relationship with Molly including things he never told to investigators. Not only that, but their client, Christian Bahena Rivera, would also be taking the stand with a new story to tell. Before I get into the defense's witnesses, I want to go back just a bit to when Dalton Jack was on the stand as a witness for the prosecution and was being cross-examined by Christian's attorney, I didn't get into the cross-examination earlier because this seemed to be one of the focal points of the defense's case, placing the blame, or at least trying to introduce reasonable doubt, by way of Molly's boyfriend. Now on direct, Dalton had testified that the night Molly went missing, he was in Dubuque at his work site. After work that night, he said he and the other guys were drinking beer and playing yard games. Christian's attorney, Chad Fries, brought up the fact that Dalton was interviewed by police three times. And in his initial interviews with them, he told police he was doing something else that night. If I understand you correctly, your testimony today is that on the night of Molly's disappearance, you were in your hotel room for a bit and then hanging out with the boys, drinking beers, playing games, right? Correct. And that's your testimony today, correct? Yes. We're clear on that. Yes. That's not always the story you've given to the police, though, is it? I don't know. Well, did you not tell the police in a previous interview that you spent the night in your room watching movies? That was what I was, yes. 
Okay. Do you recall giving that statement? Yes. Okay. When did you give that statement to police? I don't know the exact time or date that I gave that statement. Well, let's come at it this way. How many times were you interviewed by police? A lot. You recall telling the agents that on the 18th of July, the night that you say Molly, uh, or Molly, we know Molly disappeared and that you were uh, in Dubuque, uh, that you finished work around 6.30 p.m. Recall telling them that on the 27th? No. You recall telling the agents that you showered and that night you watched Rush Hour 1 in your room? Is this the night of the 18th? Yes. And yes. Now, your testimony today is that you were out with the boys playing games and drinking beers, right? Yes. So you told the officers on the 27th of July a different story, right? I suppose so. In his third interview on July 27th, he met with Agent Matt George and Lara Ziesler. In this interview, he also admitted to them that he had been withholding something. You also told officers on that same interview information that you'd withheld before, right? Correct. And that information that you withheld before was that you'd had a relationship with a woman other than Molly, right? Correct. Overruled. Who was that woman? Her name was Jordan Lamb. Okay. And what did you tell officers the reason you withheld that information? I didn't deem it necessary. You didn't deem it necessary? I didn't think that it was pertinent to the case. So you didn't think it was pertinent to tell law enforcement officers that you having an affair on your true love was was not pertinent to the case, right? I was 19 years old. So what? Sustained. Explain to me what you mean by that. I was 19 years old. It was the beginning of the relationship, and I screwed up one time. Molly knew about it, and we got past it. So it was the beginning of the relationship that you uh, had an affair on Molly? Yes. Dalton said the affair, as the defense attorney kept calling it, had happened not even a year after they had started dating. He estimated maybe August 2016. He conceded that Molly was upset that he had cheated on her. Fries pointed out that he had told police it happened in the fall of 2017. This relationship that you had with Jordan Lamb, uh, tell us how it evolved. How did it start? I don't remember. You started Snapchatting her, right? That sounds about right. Oh, am I right or am I wrong? Yes, you're right. You started sending her Snapchats. Why'd you start sending her Snapchats? Why does anybody do anything that's wrong? I'm asking you that question. I don't know. You have no idea why you start sending a woman Snapchats? Correct. Well, you wanted to get with her, right? I imagine that would be yes. Okay. Oh, I don't want you to imagine. I want you to tell me why you did. Yes. You wanted to strike up a relationship with Jordan Lamb, didn't you? Yes. And this was in February. Oh, strike that. This was uh, 
late 2017, early 2018, right? Yes. Okay, so it wasn't 2016 like you just told me. I told you that. I don't remember the dates. Okay, but now you do, right? Correct. And you, you know that now because you've been confronted with these dates by officers, right? Yes. And you were confronted with these dates by Molly, right? Yes. So you do remember the dates right now, don't you? Yes. Two minutes ago, you didn't remember the dates, right? Freese asked if he told Jordan he was going to break up with Molly. He said he didn't recall. And you were pressing Jordan pretty hard for her to be your girlfriend, right? I also do not recall. During this time, you had sexual relations with Jordan, right? Yes. You never told Molly that, did you? Molly knew. When did Molly know? Molly knew when she confronted me about it. And how did Molly find out that you were having sexual relations with Jordan Lamb? She went through my phone while I was asleep. She went through your phone? Correct. When? When I was asleep one night. Was this before or after Jordan Lamb busted you by telling Molly? That was during. That's the reason she went through my phone. Okay. So you'd agree with me that Jordan Lamb messaged Molly to share with her what you had been doing with Jordan, right? Yes. And Jordan told Molly that you were trying to get with her, right? I don't object. He's not going to have no basis for that knowledge as to what Jordan told Molly. Sustained. Was your information on your phone uh, about Jordan and Molly talking? I do not recall. Okay. But again, you didn't think, uh, seem to think that this relationship with Jordan was relevant, right? Correct. During that same interview with detectives, Free said Dalton also told investigators about a mysterious man he had seen in Brooklyn. And describe that mysterious man that you told them about on July 27th. I believe that I was mowing the lawn and he just walked by. He was uh, tall, wearing baggy pants with a chain. That's what I remember currently. Dressed all in black. If that's what the report says, then yes. And you uh, had just recalled that that day as well? I don't know. Okay. You agree with me you've never given that report of a mysterious man wearing black walking around Brooklyn before July 27th? The report of the, the man walking around Brooklyn was after Molly had already disappeared. Okay. Dalton was asked if he recalled Molly texting him towards the end of the day on July 18th asking him if he had a better day. He said he doesn't remember. He was asked if he recalled texting Molly at 8.18 that night, telling her that his phone data straight up won't work. He said he doesn't remember that. You have no recollection of texting Molly at 8.18 p.m. on July 18th saying, my data straight up won't work. I don't. The last message you sent your girlfriend on the day she was abducted. Correct. Okay. Freese then pointed out that three days before Molly went missing, she told Dalton that she was upset and sad because of his relationship with Jordan. Dalton agreed that was true. The day before she ends up missing, you learned that she and Hope Beck had talked about your relationship with yet another woman named Tara, right? Objections, calls for hearsay. Overruled. 
I don't recall that at all. You don't know that? No. Either you don't know it or you don't recall it. Don't recall it. Okay. You told police that uh, they asked you if Molly was jealous. You told her that there was a woman named Tara as well, right? If that's what the report says, and yes. I'm not asking what the report says. I'm asking you what you said. I don't recall. You don't recall telling the police about Tara? No. Was there a Tara? Yes. Okay, so there's another woman that you had uh, at least some conversations with, right? Yes. That was during your relationship with Molly? That was simultaneous to starting the relationship with Molly. Freese then pointed out that Emily, the woman who had called him to tell him about Molly being missing, was also someone he had had a prior relationship with before Molly. You and Molly had conversations in the weeks and month leading up to her uh, abduction uh, about Emily asking about you, right? I don't recall that at all. There wasn't time where Emily would be at parties and stuff and ask about you? Speculation calls for hearsay. Sustained. Okay. Emily Fenner, when she texted you, that's what she did. She texted you, right? She called me. She texted me and called me, yes. When she texted you, she asked you a very specific question, didn't she? I don't recall. She asked you, Dalt, because she calls you Dalt, right? Yes. And she said, Dalt, is Molly alive? Didn't she? I don't know. You don't know? I don't recall the text messages. Okay. You'd agree with me that's an odd question to ask someone? It's argumentative, calls for speculation. Sustained. Finally, Free Scott Dalton to admit that he did not want to be there, testifying in court. What have you done to prepare yourself for testimony today, sir? I got off a flight yesterday, so very little. Okay. You know, we're here on a charge of murder for the love of your life, right? Yes. And... I'm getting a lot of, I don't recall out of you, right? Yes. And you want the man who did this brought to justice, right? Yes. And you haven't thought about this and poured it over in your mind to have every detail remembered? When I was asked if I wanted to be here voluntarily, I said absolutely not. So no. So you did not want to be here voluntarily? No, I didn't want to be in the same room as your defendant there. Oh, so you didn't want to come give testimony to get justice for your love of your life? No. You wouldn't be here to fight for her? No. Okay. That's all I have, Your Honor. The defense wasn't done with Dalton because, as I said, they recalled him to the stand when it came time to present their case. Freese asked Dalton, who was now his witness, about his anger issues. Mr. Jack, you recall... On July 6, 2018, 12 days prior to Molly's disappearance, having a conversation with her via text message, indicating to her that you were madder than fuck for no reason? I do not recall that conversation. You're a smart guy, right? I'm not going to stroke my own ego here, but sure. (laughs) You, in some of the interviews said to agents that you had your college paid for because your ACT scores were so high, right? Yes. How high were they? Sustained. Is there anything wrong with your memory organically? No. 
You don't have any illness? I've had multiple concussions. Okay. Is that affecting your memory, do you think? I don't know. No. Okay. Has any doctor diagnosed you with any reason that you can't recall things? No. Do you, have you ever told anyone at any time on this planet that you black out when you get angry? I don't recall. Okay. If there's a record that says that, would you agree with me that that record is more accurate than your recollection? Absolutely, yes. Okay. You recall in October 30, 2017, you and, you and Molly's relationship kind of hit a, a real bump, didn't it? I don't recall that either. No. That's when she told you she was moving in with friends. Then, yeah, I remember. And that upset you? Uh, yes, it did. You told her you were angry about that? Yes. She was ditching you? Yes. That's the term you used, right? Yes. And... Even in that date, you told her you were thinking about breaking up during college, right? I don't recall that at all. Dalton admitted that out of him and Molly, he was much more likely to become angry of the two. But he said there was at least one instance where Molly wanted to have a confrontation. Dalton's relationship with Jordan was an ongoing disagreement between the couple. While on the stand, Freeze continued to approach and let Dalton read through his text and Snapchat logs to refresh his memory. So we know in 2017, Molly's upset with you because you're having some sort of relationship, whether it's texting or whatever with Jordan. And we know it happens again in 2018, right? Yes. So between June of 2017, when Molly takes the promise ring off, and tell us what the, what the promise ring signifies. Uh, promise ring signifies, like, it's not an engagement ring. It's like a precursor to an engagement ring, I guess, if that makes so you, sense. You promised yourself to her. Yes. You gave her this ring and said, I'm yours and yours only, right? Yes. You gave her an oath of fidelity, right? Yes. And then a month later, she finds out you weren't living up to that oath, right? Yes. Fries then straight out asked him if he had anything to do with Molly's murder. Now, it's your testimony, Mr. Jack, that you had nothing to do with Molly, Molly Tibbetts' abduction. Is that what I am to understand? Yes. You had nothing to do with Molly Tibbetts' death, right? Correct. You loved her too much, is that right? That and I wouldn't harm her or any innocent person, but yes. You two were going to get married, is that right? Yes. Did she know this? Yeah. Okay, what were the plans? Plans were my brother's wedding was to be in Punta Cana about, I don't remember the exact date, but it was August. We had already gotten passports and everything to go down there. And like I was going to propose on the beach down well at Blake's wedding. Dalton was then asked, when was the last time he spoke to Jordan? In terms of like talk? No, uh... She messaged me about coming here to testify. That would be the last time that I talked to her. How'd she message you? Over Snapchat. She called you over Snapchat? Yes. And you two talked about your testimony? No, she just asked me why, they, why she was having to come here. That's okay. about it. Okay. Freese also questioned his last text message to Molly. My data won't work. But it wasn't the only communication or lack thereof he wanted to discuss. Last week when you were here testifying and you realized, truly realized, that she was missing, um, 
you, d- you took some action. You recall that testimony? Uh, in terms, like I remember what I did whenever that happened. Yes. Sure. Sure. What'd you do? I immediately started making phone calls and getting people to try to check on her. Okay. Did you try to call Molly? Yes. How many times did you try to call Molly? I don't. I don't have an exact number for that. I'm sorry. Well, guess for me. Uh, I guess would be completely inaccurate, but I'll give you maybe 10. Okay. Is it possible you only called Molly one time? Uh, sure. Yes. So how many times did you text her? Uh, I also don't have a number for you on that one. So if the records show you only called her one time, those would be the accurate. Those would be the accurate number. Absolutely. Yes. Explain to me why you only try to call your girlfriend who was missing one time in the days following her disappearance. I don't know. I've tried to get other people to look for her as well. She's the love of your life, right? Yes. And you're not blowing up her phone? I don't know if I did or not, but I don't know why I would only call her one time. Prosecutor Scott Brown cross-examined Dalton, ultimately asking if he had anything to do with Molly's murder and if he had anything to do with how her body was found. Did you take officers to that location to find Molly Tibbetts? No, I did not. Did you place cornstalks on her body in order to conceal her from anyone that may be looking? No, I did not. Mr. Jack, did you have anything at all to do with the disappearance or murder of Molly Tibbetts? No. That's all I have. The defense called Jordan to testify, too. She recounted telling Molly about her relationship with Dalton. She said Molly was kind when she told her. Jordan also said she had not wanted to come to court, but she was subpoenaed. She had no knowledge of what happened to Molly. The defense also called Division of Criminal Investigation employee Anna Young to the stand. Young told the court that there were multiple DNA samples found in the trunk of Christian's black Malibu including samples that didn't belong to Christian. Okay, what were your results? Let's first talk about the scraper. The scraper, the latent print, was what I classified as an impression, which means I couldn't tell if it was from a finger or a palm print. And I wasn't able to make a conclusive um, same-source comparison in this case. What about the uh, box 62 Dot two. 62.2A was also an impression, which means I couldn't determine whether or not it was a finger or a palm, and I was not able to make a same source conclusion for that impression. 62.2B and C were fingerprints, and I was able to say they were not made by the same source as the copies of finger impressions bearing the name Christiane Bahena Rivera. The prosecution asked her if she could determine when the DNA got in the trunk. She said she couldn't. The, the two prints that were suitable for identification that you found on items in the trunk of the black Chevy Malibu were on fishing equipment. Would that be a fair characterization? Three of them were on the plastic box that contained fishing equipment. Um, can you tell the jury... Um, 
when a fingerprint is placed upon any item? I cannot. And could is it very possible that the prints that you identified on the plaque or the plastic box could have been placed there weeks or even months before? They could. Young also said on Cross that because of the state of Molly's remains, she wasn't able to pull fingerprints from her. The car had unidentified prints as well as DNA, but she said she couldn't rule Molly out as the owner of the prints. And are you aware, Ms. Young, that Molly Tibbetts has been associated with the trunk of the black Malibu where the items that you tested came from? I have, yes. Is it very possible, in your opinion, that Molly Tibbetts could have touched those things while in the trunk and you just have nothing to compare it to? Is that possible? It's possible. Next, Christian Bahena Rivera took the stand. Christian Bahena Rivera took the stand with an interpreter beside him. From Officer Pamela Romero's testimony, the jury had already heard about Christian's confession. When he took the stand, however, his sequence of events from that night was different. He now said that while he was taking a shower in his trailer, two men entered his home. Approximately what time did you take a shower at your home? About six, six thirty. After you took a shower, uh, what did you do? I left the bathroom. What did you see? Two people in my living room. Those two people in your living room, how were they dressed? With sweaters and their faces covered. Describe the color of the clothing that they were wearing. It was dark clothing. Can you describe what uh, the build of either of these people? Uno era un poco grande y gordo. El otro era mi misma estatura y un poco musculoso. One of them was bigger and a little bit fatter, and one of them was about my stature and a little bit stronger, burly. He said each of them were armed, one with a knife, the other with a gun. They told him not to do anything stupid and everything would be okay. At that point in time, were they ever violent towards you or aggressive towards you? No. No. Did you comply with all of their instructions? Yes. Did you argue with them? No. No. He said the men made him get into his car and drive straight. One of the men sat in the front seat next to him with the knife. The man with the gun was in the back. Once they got to Brooklyn, they went into town. He said the men were trying to crouch down as much as they could in their seats. He said he saw a person jogging along the side of the road. Did they make any comments uh, while you were driving? Sí, uno le dijo uh, uno le dijo al otro algo sobre alguien corriendo. Yes, one of them told the other one. One of them said to the other one something about someone running. 
Now, sir, you don't speak much English. Is that right? Correct. How were you able to tell what they were saying? Well, I don't know how to speak a lot of English, but I understand the basics. And so you were able to understand that's what was said. Is that right? Correct. He said he didn't know her then, but he now knows it was Molly Tibbetts. When she was running, was she running out of town? Yes. And you're driving into town, is that correct? Yes. What happens next? We just continue driving. Then they asked me to turn around. He said they drove by Molly around three or four times. The men kept telling him to turn around. The final time they saw her, she was running towards the town as they were heading the opposite way. The men told him to turn around again, and he did. The man in the front seat with the knife told him to stop. What happened next? One of them got out of the car. Which one? El de la parte enfrente. Uh, the one that was on the front. So the guy with the knife. Correct. What did he do? Well, he just started uh, going towards uh, forward, towards the town direction. How long was he gone? Alrededor de 10, 12 minutos. Around uh, 10 uh, to 12 minutes. The man in the back seat was quiet at first, but as the minutes passed, he said he could hear him start whispering something. He heard, come on, Jack. Now, sir, you've heard Mr. Fries and I at least insinuate that Dalton Jack could have been involved in this. You've, you've heard the, the trial, correct? Yes. Are you telling this jury that Dalton Jack was one of those people? No. No. Do you know who either of the people were that were in that car with you? No. No? About 12 minutes passed. The man with the knife came back to the car and got in. Christian said they asked him to continue driving, and so he did. They told him to stop after about 300 meters and asked for his car keys. The men got out of the car and he heard them opening the trunk. He heard a movement in the car and then the trunk closed. The men got back in and asked him to turn the car around, which he did. They told him to keep driving towards the gravel road. He drove for several miles for about five to eight minutes. He said they gave him directions that led him to a cornfield. There, the men got out of his car, taking his keys and phone. They told him they knew his daughter and his daughter's mother and that they would take care of them if he ever said anything. Then they disappeared. He said that's when he looked in the trunk. Well, obviously, I knew there was something in the trunk. And why did you think there was something or why did you know there was something in the trunk? Porque anteriormente ya sentido cuando vieron la cuando pusieron algo en la cajuela. 
because previously I had felt when they had placed something or put something in the trunk. Did you look in the trunk? Yes. What did you see? A body. Was that the body of Molly Tibbetts? Yes. He said Molly's body was very heavy and there were no signs of life. He told the court he removed her body and placed her in the field, hiding her with corn stalks. Did you cover her with corn? Yes. Why did you do that? Because I didn't want to leave her, uh, well, I didn't want her to be too exposed to the sun. Christian didn't just hide the body. He had gotten rid of other evidence, too. He said that in the trunk with Molly's body was his cell phone and keys and Molly's cell phone, Fitbit, and earbuds. He removed all the items and then tossed them out on the side of the road. Now, sir, you didn't tell a soul about this for over a month. Is that right? Correct. Correct. And if you weren't approached, you would have taken this night with you to the grave. Isn't that right? Most probably. Most probably. Why didn't you call the police or let investigators know what happened? Because I knew if I did it in any way, I was going to be involved. Were there any other reasons that you did not call law enforcement? Sí. Yes. What were they? Because I remember uh, that they said that if I would say something, they were going to do something to uh, my family, my ex-girlfriend, uh, my daughter. He said they mentioned his daughter's mother by name. Christian said he called no one. He went home. Later, when police identified his car from surveillance video, he spoke with them, but he left out the part about the two men. The defense asked him about the interrogation, the length, why he didn't say anything about the men, how he was treated. He said he never planned on telling the authorities the truth. Did they ever use the phrase, help yourself? Yes. And what did you take that to mean when they used that phrase? Well, that if I helped them, if I told them what they wanted to hear, that they could help me. Did they confront you or did they tell you that often? Yes. At some point, you said that you blacked out. Is that right? Yes. Was that your idea? No, they said it first. And specifically, was there a suggestion made that you might be crazy? Objections. Overruled. Something like that. Something like that sometimes people can be sick and they can forget things. 
as these this interrogation went on, tell me uh, about your alertness. Well, I was already tired and I was very sleepy. And you saw some videotape of you falling asleep during this interrogation. Is that right? Sí. Yes. Were those the only times that you fell asleep during the interrogation? No. No estoy seguro, pero fueron muchas veces. I'm not sure, but there were many times. At some point in time, the investigators asked you to try to take them to Molly Tibbetts. Is that right? Sí. Yes. And you agreed. Is that right? Sí. Yes. Why did you agree to do that at that point in time? Principalmente, primero porque ya estaba muy cansado y ya quería que parara. Well, principally, well, for one, uh, because I was already very tired and I wanted it to stop. Y lo más importante fue porque me dijeron que que me pusiera en la posición de la familia de la muchacha y que imaginara que ella era que si hubiera sido mi hija que, que hubiera hecho yo. And most importantly, because they told me uh, to uh, put myself in the family's position and uh, to think of her that if she was my daughter, what would I have done? On cross-examination, prosecutors also asked why he never mentioned the men to police. His response was that he knew he'd be connected to the crime and he was worried for his family. You told Officer Romero that you confronted Molly Tibbetts on 385th. Is that correct? Yes. You never mentioned two other men. Is that true? Correct. You told Officer Romero that you were angry at Molly Tibbetts. Is that true? I think so. Prosecutor Scott Brown asked him about the first story he told, the one where he said he approached Molly. According to what he told Officer Romero, Molly had threatened to call the police and had slapped him. He now said that never happened. The prosecutors were also curious as to where the men supposedly went after they got out of the car. Did Christian see or hear another car? There's no other vehicle there. Not that I saw. Whenever you left the cornfield, you left alone? Yes. The other two men that were there, did they just walk back? They ran towards the road. So they ran towards the road and just disappeared? I, I didn't see them again. I don't know where they went. You drove the two men in your Malibu to the cornfield where you dumped Molly Tibbetts, correct? Yes. And you're telling us that you drove back to your home alone? Yes. And you happened to find your cell phone and the keys in the trunk of the car? Yes. And these two men just disappeared. That's right. Then Prosecutor Brown asked if Christian was actually the one who had stabbed and killed Molly. 
You stabbed Molly Tibbetts. Isn't that right? No. No. You're the one that did that. Isn't that true? Objection. Asked and answered. Sustained. You alone took Molly Tibbetts into the corn. Isn't that right? Yes. The two men that you mentioned didn't help you do that. Is that right? Correct. Prosecutor Brown then brought up the words Officer Romero said he had told her after showing them the body. I brought you here, didn't I? I guess I did it. At one point towards the end of that interview, did she ask you for more details? Yes. And your response was, I brought you here. Correct? I don't remember, but if it is in the interview, it is true. You also told her, I did it, didn't I? Do you recall that? The truth, no. You don't remember asking her that question? No. No. After Christian exited the stand and returned to the defense table, it was time for closing arguments. The prosecution started by describing who Molly Tibbetts was. This is Molly Tibbetts. 20 years old, just starting out her adult life. Molly Tibbetts went for a run. She'd gone for a run most days. Sometimes she would go a short distance. Sometimes she would go a little bit longer. But on July 18th of 2018, she went for that run that was a little bit longer. She was confronted by this man. Prosecutor Brown asked the jury, who killed Molly Tibbetts? Then he laid out their evidence. The fact that Christian's car is seen on video passing by Molly several times. And then the three different stories Christian had given to law enforcement and to the court. First, denial. Then his second story of having blacked out after a confrontation with her. Then, in court, these phantom men. But what does he eventually end up telling uh, the officers? So he goes, they go through the interview, right? So it's deny. Then Officer Romero shows the defendant photos of things that we saw similarly in the uh, videos that show the car. He now knows what? Okay, now my car's in the area. Uh Uh-oh. So how am I going to try to explain that one? All right, so he sees his vehicle in the area. She shows him several photos of it, and then he admits, right? He's now confronted with some evidence that puts him in the area. Now his story changes, right? It changes to, okay, yeah, I saw her, and she was jogging. And, you know, he even uh, makes a comment about her attractiveness. I think there's some dispute as to whether or not she said hot or not. Hot, pretty, whatever it is, right? He is talking to now, talking to Pamela Romero, Officer Romero, about the way that Molly Tibbetts appears. All right? Story two. Okay? First one was to deny. Second one now, when shown evidence that his car is in the area, he now moves to, okay, I saw her. Yeah, I did. That's my car. She's in the area. 
and uh, he tells the officer. He said investigators looked at other suspects, but nothing else panned out. Other suspects that's been raised here. Um, here's some of their names, Dalton Jack, Cheney, Pexa, Tomatich, Ishorn, Culver, all these other names that come up. The cops ran these, case, the, these leads to the ground. They looked, right? They, they talked to these men. They were, could find no connection, right? Are they just supposed to ignore everything that Christian Ramirez told them? Uh, at the end and start keep hammering on these guys and keep coming back to them? Or do you follow the evidence in the case? Right? They followed the evidence in the case. There's no evidence that any of these men on that list, including Dalton, who we'll talk about a little bit more specifically later, had any had knowledge of the defendant, knew who he was, had any connection to his Chevy Malibu, or had any real reason to harm this young woman. None. He ended his closing arguments by asking for justice and stating that Christian was guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Defense attorney Chad Freeze agreed with the prosecution that Molly was an innocent victim and started his closing arguments much the same way. The other thing I want to make very clear is that Molly Tibbetts is truly an innocent victim. She was absolutely an innocent victim here. No doubt about it. This young woman was a spectacular young woman. She was destined to do great things. She was destined to become the change that she wanted to see in the world. He didn't dispute that Christian showed police where the body was or that his client was the one who had placed her there. But he said investigators never solved the case and that there are a lot of things missing from the prosecution's presentation of the evidence, including a murder weapon, a primary crime scene, an eyewitness, a confession, a motive, and scientific evidence. He said they wholeheartedly disagree that what Christian told Officer Romero was a confession. He also questioned the investigators' tactics, including Christian's 11-hour interrogation. This was an 11-hour interrogation, 11 hours, okay? After he had worked a full day at the dairy, okay? And he works at the dairy. That's hard work. And if you think it's a coincidence that they waited till the end of the work day to get this guy and bring him back and question him, you got another thing coming. So he'd worked since 4.30 in the morning, they, they get him. He voluntarily agrees to go speak. He's compliant. He's a yes man. Some of the investigation was sloppy, but it really got sloppy when Christian Bahena Rivera got targeted. Because, folks, what happened here was they closed a case. They didn't solve a case. He said there were also problems with the DNA evidence from Christian's trunk. Problem is with the DNA is exactly what the reports tell us and then as explained by Dr. Spence. And that is, first of all, remember the testimony was that the investigators and the lab didn't test the trunk liners until a year later. 
at Mr. Brown's request. So investigators didn't deem it even relevant to try to find someone else's blood, Molly's blood, inside the trunk. They had it on the trunk liner, on the uh, gasket, that little piece of blood you saw, but not to see if she was actually, her DNA was in the trunk. We're glad that Mr. Brown asked for that because it gave us some very compelling findings. Okay? Now, the DNA that was found on the trunk liner, okay, there's item 59.3, and that's a really small, less than a dime-sized cutting that Tara Scott took. Okay, small. It had 10 accounted-for alleles, those little identifying markers that Dr. Spence talked about, that were not from Christian Behena or Ms. Tibbetts. They came from an unknown male beyond the major presence of Ms. Tibbetts. So an unknown male was there. And we know that from the uh, Ms. Scott herself, it was a mixture of three people. Three people. And what's important is Ms. Tibbetts' DNA is on that very small spot mixed in with three people. Okay? Right there in that very small spot. Item 60.1, there were 14 unaccounted for alleles, not Ms. Tibbetts and not Christian. 61.1, five unaccounted for alleles. Can't tell if it's male or female. Basically what it tells us is there's other people's DNA in that trunk mixed with Molly Tibbetts in those very small portions. Not somewhere else in the trunk, but right where Molly Tibbetts' body was, in the exact spot. Why is that important? Because we have no other DNA to exclude anyone, folks. Again, victimology. Why on earth would you not take Dalton Jack's DNA? He admitted the sources for the DNA are unknown. And that's when he brought the jury's attention back to Dalton Jack. He brought up the affair and anger as possible motives. That brings us to Dalton Jack. Ask yourself this question. Why did the state even call Dalton Jack as a witness? Think about that. What do you have to add? He wasn't in town during the abduction. He didn't know who who committed any of the elements. He wasn't here. That's what they're saying. He was in Dubuque. He had nothing to add. He wasn't a witness. Where was he? Why? Why? What did he know, really? They knew he was a problem. They knew from the jump that this guy was a problem. That's why they investigated him and questioned him after they cleared him. Remember, Mr. Jack didn't even want to be here. Didn't want to be here for the love of his life to make sure she had justice. What kind of person is that? Well, it's the same kind of person that would have an affair on the love of his life while he was planning on getting engaged to her. It's the same kind of person that would portray their relationship as rosy to the public while it's rocky and private. It's the same kind of person who was losing control of Molly. She was going to fly. She was outgrowing this man. He was angry. He has a history of being a fighter and 
they knew he was a problem. And his alibi that the state gave you was his inconsistent statements. No video cameras from the from the hotel. Not a single receipt that shows that he was at Walmart or got gas or went to the gas station. They got any beer. Nothing. No time cards. Cell phone towers, we talked about those. We know where Miss Tibbetts was, but we don't know where Dalton was. Easily found. I went on to ask him, you didn't want Molly moving in with friends. You wanted her moving in with you. Answer, I was upset that she went back on the plan that I had been going with for the last year and a half after that. You were angry, I asked. He said, correct. He told the jury they had to judge what the truth was. He said his client was not a monster who would do this, that there was more than enough evidence for reasonable doubt. The prosecution was given the chance for rebuttal. Prosecutor Brown immediately defended Dalton, pointing to his and Molly's ages and how at their age, it's not uncommon to break up and get back together. They ran Dalton Jack to the ground. In this case, they interviewed him multiple times. They looked at him, right? They found out what his history was, what his, uh, that he'd had this, this brief uh, fling with another girl uh, named Jordan. And by the way, when you're 18 years old, it's not like he's, you know, I've been married 32 years and I got three kids, okay? That'd be a lot different, let me tell you, okay? But he's a kid, Right? What do you do if you're not getting along with your girlfriend? You break up with her, right? You don't take her out in the country and stab her to death. Does that make sense to you? He said Dalton Jack did not do this and has an alibi that his boss corroborated. He said Christian's new story is not believable. He knows after setting through all this evidence, he's under a pretty big rock, right? And he's got to come up with something else. He's got to come up with a story to describe or explain away why he led the officers to the body, right? So what's he come up with? What's the context of this? Um, He's now seen all the evidence against him. His statement with Romero ended with him charged with murder, right? He, He tried to give them a story. He told them what happened, right? Which is probably is a lot closer to the truth but now he knows that got him charged. He finds out later, uh, as Mr. Freeze pointed out, that the DNA didn't come in until later, that it is all that Molly's blood is in the trunk. He has had access to all the evidence in this case. He has had, had access to the video. He knows his car puts him here, there. He asked the jury to follow the evidence to reach a verdict of guilty. The case then went to the jury. They deliberated for seven hours over the course of two days before they returned to the courtroom. On May 28, 2021, their verdict was read, guilty of murder in the first degree. Christian Bahena Rivera will be held without bond while awaiting sentencing. After the verdict was read, law and crime spoke with both the prosecution and the defense. Defense attorneys Chad and Jennifer Freese were disappointed with the verdict, but said they're planning on filing appeals. The prosecution, however, was pleased. They also said they were able to talk to Molly's family after it was announced. 
Yeah, we just spoke to the family um, for a few minutes afterwards. They, they're relieved. They're pleased with the verdict. Um, it's just they're, a, you know, the whole the family of Molly Tibbs is just a great bunch. And they've been awesome to, to work with in this circumstance. Of course, it's always very tragic. Uh, and uh, whenever something like this happens uh, to, to a family like them or any family and, um, you know, they've, they've been very supportive of everything we've done. And and uh, we just wish them the best and moving forward. And that's all for this episode. As always, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Do you agree with the verdict? Do you think the two men Christian Bahena Rivera mentioned existed? Let me know by joining the conversation on Instagram at Court Junkie, by tweeting me at Court Junkie Pod, or by emailing me at podcast at courtjunkie.com. This episode was researched and written by Polly Katowski with Law and Crime. You can follow her on Twitter and Instagram at Polly Katowski. If you'd like to hear these episodes without the ads and hear additional Court Junkie bonus episodes, check out my Patreon options at courtjunkie.com slash support. And be sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash courtjunkie. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.